They call him the godfather of photography, and he's back on Behind the Shot. Hi, once again, welcome to Behind the Shot, the show where we try and get inside the mind of great photographers by taking a closer look behind one of their shots from conception to completion and all those stories and challenges that happen in between. I'm Steve Brazel, and as always, this episode will have an associated blog post. The blog post will be at the website, which is behindtheshot.tv. While you're there, you can check the back catalog of all the older episodes. You can subscribe to the podcast and be aware that we have both an audio feed and we also have a video feed. The show being video centric because obviously we're taking a photograph and we're kind of dissecting it. It makes it easier if you can see the photograph. If you are listening to the audio version of the show, I'll do my best to describe the photograph, but be aware I'm not really good at it. So <laughs> there's no guarantee you may actually want to run by the website, check out the photo before you listen to the show. If you're going to do the audio version, it just makes it a little bit easier. So that brings us into today's guest. Now, for the guest today, this is, I think, your fourth time maybe on the show. I think it's your fourth time on the show. Rick Salmon, welcome to the show, buddy. Well, thank you so much for having me back again. I love coming on your show. Uh, I love taking pictures with you. Remember we were outside of Vegas in a Red Rock Canyon? Red Rock and Canyon, I remember it well. You know, I remember you're, we tried to go there because we wanted to shoot the sunrise. Oh, and we yeah. got there and they, they opened like 10 minutes after sunrise. The gates were closed. So we had to walk around a neighborhood trying to find a spot to shoot. I know, but we had a lot of fun. And you got some good pictures. So you're not only a great podcasting host, but you're a great photographer and a, a great friend and a fellow music lover. Well, thank you very Yeah, music <laughs> lover for sure. Long time in radio. So here's the deal. Rick Salmon is known as the godfather of photography for a number of different reasons. One of those is you are the most published photographer that I'm aware of. So I'm curious, how many books do you have right now? And kind of kind of what's the gamut of subject matter that your books run? Wow. Well, uh, right now it's 38. Number 39 is coming out, co-authored uh, with my wife, uh, Susan Salmon. It's on the Oregon coast. Uh, it's a book about a, take a, a, basically a road trip on the Oregon coast. But uh, we've written uh, children, children's books together. We have six 3D children's books. We have uh, some underwater books, I think four or five underwater books. Uh, I have a book on butterflies. Uh, it's called Flying Flowers. And the, the, the butterfly one was your first book, wasn't it? Well, that was one of my first coffee table book. Okay, that makes one sense. One of my first coffee table books, and uh, and then lots of uh, lots of photography books too. Well, Evolution. and you have a, you have a lot of technique books. So you have books on composition, you have books on pre visualization, and like you said, your latest book uh, is part of the reason I wanted to have you on because. And before I, before I get into the latest book, let me just tell a little story here. So your last book was, I think, your first road trip book, and it was the Route 66 photo road trip, How to Eat, Stay, Play, and Shoot Like a Pro. And I love, I live in the, you know, Southwest, and we were driving to see a friend from Southern California. We were driving to Santa Fe, New Mexico. So I bought two copies of the Route 66 book, and I bought one for me, and I bought one for our friends that, that live in Santa Fe. So I give them the book. We didn't actually look through it while we were there. I had read the book already, but didn't make the connection, of course, in my head. I give it to them in Santa Fe, and they take us to dinner that night at this amazing restaurant. We go back to their place. We're sitting drinking wine, looking through the book, and son of a gun, the restaurant we ate at that they wanted to take us to so bad is actually in the book. It was called Maria's, 
And that really triggered something for me, that these are, these are photo books in that they give you tips and tricks. They're road trip books in that they give you things to see, but they're, they're real places to go that even the locals go, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's just not a photo book. You know, a road trip is an experience and I love road trips. Susan loves road trips because you're basically, you know, like what we did for the Route 66 book, we flew to Albuquerque, then we're in the car and we're self and we're self-contained, right? So we just right. go to different hotels along Route 66. So, you know, we did it. We've, we did it twice. We did it once, uh, I guess, about uh, seven years ago. Then we did it again just a few years ago. We did really want to find out. We did go to some restaurants that are not in the book, <laughs> if you know what I mean. So Maria's is our favorite oh, yeah. restaurant there. The so Maria's, really, I had a chicken dish at Maria's that was to die for. The did new you have book. the margaritas? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They're, they're yeah. actually award-winning margaritas. Uh, your new book is the same concept. The Oregon Coast Photo Road Trip, How to Eat, Stay, Play, and Shoot Like a Pro. And I've got an advanced copy of it. I was able to look through it. Thank you very much for that. And it's the same idea where you guys talk about what to take on the trip. You talk about what gear to take, where to take pictures, how to best get the pictures. When people are looking at doing a, a road trip and they're hobbyists or whatever, and they want to take pictures, what are they going to find in a book like that to help them when they go to the Oregon coast? Well, they might find <clears throat> some unique information. Like if you're going to do an Oregon coast road trip, you really have to plan the whole trip around the tides. Okay. Because, because the tides vary quite a few feet on the Oregon coast. And if you're at one of these places like Strawberry Hills or Bandon Beach, where we're going to talk about, uh, you know, I took this horse picture by Face Rock. If you're there at high tide, you're not going to be able to take that picture because <laughs> you're not going to be able to get close to the rocks. So planning the trip around, you know, most people know, OK, you have to plan the trip around the weather, you know, so you know what to wear. Right. Right. Because you want to be comfortable. But on the Oregon coast, you, we, you really you really have to know about the tides. We talk about the driving distances. Uh, we talk about like limited parking. We talk about safety. It's just super important because you're you're in the Oregon coast. You're going to be going down these steps to the coast. You're going to have to wear waterproof boots and all these rocks are slippery. So safety first. So we talk about being safe. We talk about getting the best pictures. We talk about the best time of day, uh, the best light, the best angle. And again, getting back to the tides, the tides are, are you really want to be at these places at low tides because the sea anemones and the, and the starfish, they're exposed right, right. as they're under. <clears throat> so really, if somebody were going to do a road trip and want to do photography and make the most of it, I guess is the best phrase I can think of. Having some of these tips ahead of time matter and and coming from somebody who I'm a Kelby One fan. Uh, I've been a Kelby One fan for a long time. You're a Kelby One instructor. You've got, I think, about, I tried counting them, as I recall, uh, 20 classes, something like that? Is it close? 18. 18 I classes. Just... Okay. So the other thing that I love that's up at Kelby One for you, which I don't think people need a membership to see, is the interview that you did with Calibra. Right. And that was a really fascinating interview to me because she she's actually really good at interviews. She asked you the right questions and she actually got Rick Salmon, which I've known you for a while and it's not a common thing, to really get personal. Yes, uh, she, and she had no notes. 
Are you serious? No notes, no no notes, no teleprompter, no nothing. So uh, it was just a nice casual conversation, you know, getting to know me. So also Canon Explorer of Light going way yep. back, 15 years, 16 years, whatever. And you do workshops, you do seminars. People can find all of that type of information at your website. Give your website. I've been putting it up under you as a lower third, but go ahead and give your website out really yeah, quick too. It's just Rick Salmon, S-A-M-M-O-N, ricksalmon.com. It sounds like the fish. Okay, perfect. So <laughs> that brings us up to this. This uh, Isn't it funny how we all describe our name by something else? You know, Steve Brazel, but I always say it's like Brazil, but two L's. It's right. salmon. Sounds like the fish. Right, uh, right. Let's get into this shot a little bit. This this shot is one of the ones from the new book, the, the right. Oregon Road Trip book. And the reason I, I like that we picked this shot, well, there's a number of reasons. So let's start at the top here. First of all, where is this? Okay, this uh, picture was taken on Bandon Beach. Uh, what, what we did on the road trip, we flew into Portland, and this is what we recommend in the book, fly into Portland, start in Newport, go to Newport, then go to uh, Florence, and then wind up in Bandon Beach. These are, this is, these are the, the prime locations on the Oregon coast. They're amazing. Uh, and each one is so different because the rock formations uh, are, are so different. But in Bandon Beach, you have these sea stacks, and you have these beautiful rock formations, you know, you know coming out of the sand. So this picture was taken on Bandon Beach at a... And it's just not a random shot. <clears throat> we planned the shot. You know, I've been on your show before, and I talk about the difference between taking pictures and making pictures. Right. This is a pretty good example of making a picture. Uh, what we wanted to do, we wanted to have a horse and rider at sunset, and we wanted to have a nice rock formation in the background, and that's face rock, what's called face rock in the background. And what's funny is, in the, in the green room, as it were, before we started recording... Yeah. I mentioned something about the picture and, and Rick goes, oh yeah, face rock. And I went, what? It, it almost looks like Morro Bay. It almost looks like the giant rock at Morro Bay. And you said face rock and I go looking at it and I can't unsee it now. So yeah. I, I should probably do this for the people on the on the audio version of the podcast. Let me try and describe the photo to you. And it's not going to be, again, they get harder and harder every show. This is a beach scene. Low tide, the water is clearly pulled way out. There's a horse in full gallop with what appears to be a female model on it based on the hair. And a giant rock out in the water. And it literally looks like a Greek statue has sunken. It's laying on the back of its head and you can clearly see a nose and a mouth and a chin and eyebrows and hair. And I mean... I can't unsee that now. The coloring, how would you describe what you've got coloring-wise going top to bottom in this, Rick? Well, once again, <clears throat> I want to say that there's a big difference between taking a picture and making a picture. And I'll add to that that what I like to do, and I encourage my workshop students to do, I say, think like a painter. What would a painter do? In other words, if it's an overcast day and right. there's not a lot of color, would a, a painter might paint that, Right. But a painter might say, okay, I'm going to use that as an idea. I'm going to use that as a starting point, and I'm going to enhance the scene. And I'm going to add, like, I'm going to make it look like a sunset. So what I did is uh, it was overcast. Actually, it's a pretty funny story. We planned this trip, uh, uh, you know, a year in advance, and we hired the horse and rider a year in advance. So we get there, and it's overcast. It's so overcast, you can't even believe it. So we're there with the students, and we have the horse going back and forth with face rock and the fog, you know, because on the, on the Oregon coast, because the weather changes so 
so frequently, you get a lot of fog on the Oregon coast. So <clears throat> we're, the horse is going back and forth, back and forth. Miraculously, five minutes before sunset, the weather cleared a little bit. And that's when I took this shot. But the color wasn't great. So what I did to enhance the color, to make it look like a sunset, I used, uh, I know you're a fan of the Nick uh, stuff. Love like Love it. Nick Color Effects Pro, I used one of the bi-color uh, gradual filters where you could add a color on the top, a color on the bottom, and you could adjust the color up and down, the opacity and, and the Okay, blending. so when you're doing, so you chose what colors top and bottom? Uh, well, I, I actually forget uh, which one it was in the, uh, which one it was in the- Okay, so let me, let me approach it this way then. Yeah. Do you, when you do that, mm -hmm. do you worry- I'm thinking here out loud. People are hearing me think. Yeah. Do you worry that, or do you even concern yourself with the fact that the colors that you're picking in this in this bicolor graduated filter are close to real to blend in, or do you are you willing to choose two colors, top and bottom, that have no relation to the actual colors? Well, in here the image? I wanted it, wanted it to look like a sunset, right? But right. like another example, <clears throat> I was in Yellowstone and we photographed uh, again, totally overcast. Uh, I photographed a bison on a on a hilltop. It was just like almost like a black and white photo. There, I used a gradual orange filter because I wanted to simulate right. a sunset, and I used a dark and light and center filter. All this stuff is in the Nick Color Effects uh, Pro. Uh, I use a dark and light and center, so I simulated like a sunset behind it. So in in the horse and rider picture, I forget the the exact one. There's a bunch of different ones. Uh, it was I'd a preset, though. It was a yes, yeah. One so of the so. Let me ask you this: You do this as long as we're on this post-production thing. I'm coming up with tons of questions here. Do you tend to go into Color Effects Pro from a Lightroom, put it on, and go back, or are you doing it as a separate layer in Photoshop? Well, what you what I do is, if you're in Lightroom, you could go. Uh, for, you have the picture in Lightroom. You could go edit in, and you could edit in the plug, and then it could bring it back. Right. So, or you could just you, there's a standalone too that you could use. Correct. Yeah, but so I know I, a lot of people also do them as layers. In yeah, you in, could do it as layers and then mask in and mask out. But with the control points, that that basically does the same thing. But so, this was just a straight uh, application of it, and uh, it was kind of easy. See, but, and and that's one of the things I like about your imagery is the colors always feel believable and real to me, and yet they also feel cinematic. So there's a I don't want to use the word punch, but there's a punch, right? They, they well, they come off the paper, as it were. When you're shooting, I looked at your EXIF data for this. You shot this aperture priority. I shoot 98% of my pictures in aperture priority mode, even a horse running as fast as it can. See, and that's, that's fascinating to me because you chose an aperture priority. Your ISO was at 250th, and you chose F6.3, which landed you because of aperture priority at 1 600th of a second, which is going to get you that horse frozen like this. Is that why you would have chosen the 6.3? Yes. So in other words, there's, there's really only one right exposure. And that one right exposure may be different from you, right? And different from me and different from the, you know, eight or 10 other people on the workshop. So if you think about there's only one right exposure, <clears throat> if there's, <clears throat> you want to get the right exposure, again, checking your histogram, checking your highlight alert, which is what I did on that picture because you see it's like bright on the side. So you have blinkies on on the screen to blink if it's clipped? Right. And then I, I use the underexposure warning. But uh, yeah, so if you think about the exposure triangle, right, the ISO, the aperture, the shutter speed, 
if you want to get that one right exposure, no matter what mode you're in, you're going to get the same exposure. Right. right. And if you're in the manual, again, the horse is running and the lights changing. You know, what am I going to do? Uh, I have to change two things if I'm in the manual mode. So if I'm in the shutter priority mode, you know, I would have gotten the same thing because I wanted that aperture. So this is what I say. There's really only one right exposure. And if you shoot, like I shoot in the aperture priority mode because it's just faster. I, sh I have the Canon 5D Mark IV. I have, I'm always shooting with my thumb on that exposure compensation wheel on the back. Right. So I could, I could choose the aperture to get the right shutter speed. If, if I want that aperture and the shutter speed is not fast enough, I'll boost up the ISO really quickly. So a 24 to 105 F4 uh, Mark three lens, you were at 55 millimeters. Were you, were you worried at all that six, three wouldn't give you the depth of field that you wanted? Well, the horse is pretty far away. So, you know, I would, I would say the horse was more than a hundred feet away. So it didn't matter. So it's a silhouette. Uh, again, right. for those on the audio, you know, describing the shot, it's a silhouette of the horse in the rocks. And I'm, right. I'm curious, to get this silhouette, was that in in camera at a proper exposure, was it silhouetted or did you underexpose it about a stop, which also boosts colors doing that too? Well, uh, I did underexpose a little, but the sun was set behind it again. So we're on the Oregon coast. We're facing the Pacific Ocean, right? right. So the sun is basically, <laughs> when it did come out, Steve, was behind the subject. So it's it's going to be a, it's going to be a silhouette, and so, what, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say. It, okay, so silhouettes are popular. Everybody's done them or tried them, and there's some people go pure black on a silhouette. Some people do like this, where it's a silhouette, but I can clearly see detail in the horse. When you're shooting a silhouette, do you have a preference between solid black silhouettes or not? Do you what makes you decide how silhouette-y? I made up a word. How silhouette to go? Yeah. Uh, no matter what question anyone ever asks me, like at a seminar, I say the answer is the same. And, and, and the answer is, it depends. <laughs> right? So right. it depends on the subject. So there's an expression that uh, when you take the mystery out of the... I don't agree with this all the time, but I keep it in mind. When you, take the, when you destroy the mystery of the photograph, you destroy the photograph. Oh, right? oh, oh, say that again? Yeah, when you destroy the mystery of the photograph, you destroy the photograph. Now, again, I don't believe that, you know, all the time. But there is something to be said for having a sense of mystery in the scene. So in this horse and rider picture, if you look closely, you can, there's a little detail in the white horse, but you can't see the rider at all. Right. Okay. He's, uh, so I lighten the horse uh, just just a little bit. Okay, so you go in and dodge and burn to get the shadowy effect you want. Well, again, getting back to thinking like a painter, what would a painter do if they paint the scene like this? Are they going to paint the whole scene like, uh, look at the scene, look at their painting and say, oh, I'm going to have the whole scene the same contrast, <laughs> right? I'm going to have the color of the same scene everywhere. I'm going to have the same saturation everywhere. So a painter thinks selectively and not globally. And that's what we have to do, I think, as photographers, think and realize that we're in control of every pixel. Okay, yeah, that makes total sense to me. I'm curious focus-wise. 
Yep. The the 5D Mark IV, like any high-end camera nowadays, you've got all kinds of different ways that you could do focus points. You could do manual single focus point. You can do focus point assist. You can do zone focusing. You can do AI servo. You can pre-focus with a, a, a single focus spot, pre-focus it, let the rider ride through it. What would you have done here? Would you have pre-focused? Had the, had the rider stand there, pre-focus it, then had him move and run through? Were you tracking him with AI servo? I was tracking him with AI servo when I had the focus point over to the right on the horse. And so you're panning with the horses you're coming through. Right. So in other words, <clears throat> just because you have the autofocus camera, doesn't like you were just saying, doesn't know where the camera wants to focus. So I always try to place that focus point on the subject. Uh, and here, the subject was running into the scene. That's why I had the focus point set over there on the right. And would you have done a single point or do you do the assist with the ones on the outside or do you do a zone? I, I do the the single one with a few few around it. Okay, which is what I do. But that's just it. for this shot. There's a bird flying in the air, like a bald eagle. I would select like all the all the focus points. So it would if it's, if it's a clear sky. Gotcha, but in gotcha. a case like this, you know, if there's other rocks around in front of it and behind, you definitely want to uh, you definitely want to make sure that rider's in focus. So let's get into to what I think of for Rick Salmon. You yep. are the composition king. You've done books <laughs> about it. You've done classes about it. And this shot has everything in it that says composition all over it. So you've got the rule of odds, right? You've got four rocks, but plus the horse and rider makes five. Okay. And really, one of the rocks you don't really notice, it looks like three rocks. The three rocks are progressive sizes, so you get not only depth with a, a foreground, midground, and background subject, but they change size backwards, which is kind of cool to me. Normally, an object in the foreground is bigger. The object in the far distance is smaller. This is reversed here. When you're, when you're you know, Finally, the, the fog clears, you're on the beach, the sun is setting, everything lines up, the horse is riding through. Are you thinking of that? And let's say hypothetically, there were you know, four, four objects and not five in the right. scene. Would you go in and remove one to accentuate the rule of odds and those type of composition rules to make a stronger image? You mean remove it in Photoshop with the yeah. clone stamp tool? Uh -huh. <clears throat> Content aware? Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> it depends. <laughs> so I don't know. <laughs> but but what's about this shot, again, I'm leading a workshop. So my main goal is to make sure everyone on the workshop gets this shot. So what I did in this shot, again, we have the horse coming in from the right. and We have the rocks on the left. We, I, I was saying, I was suggesting Right. These are just my suggestion. I was suggesting to the workshop students a couple of things. Have the rider, you know, approaching those rocks. So what I did before, before the rider came in, because the horse has to run through the surf and it gets tired running through the surf. Right. It's only going to do this, you know, you know, a few times. So what I did is I stood in the position where the uh, horse was about where the horse is going to be. And I had my arms spread out really wide. And I'm... <laughs> I'm yelling because the surf is loud. I'm saying to the to the students, I say, okay, focus on me. Make sure I'm in focus. Make sure the background is in focus. Check your exposure. Make sure the horizon line is not going through the rider's head. I'm glad you brought that one up because I was going to mention, obviously there's wave lines here. 
Right. And the wave lines do intersect. They're going, they're going to. It's a beach. They intersect the horse. They intersect the body. None of them intersect at the wrong spot. Right. So, which is at the joints, like the horse's neck or the uh, or the right. rider's neck, or going through a head. So, this these are the things I, I'm holding my arms out of, trying, and then holding my arms straight up to try to simulate the height of the horse. Saying, suggesting to the uh, students, when you photograph, make sure, make sure no part of the horse's tail or the hooves are cut off. So they're practicing their composition. So they basically have an idea of the shot before they take the picture, then everyone processed it a different way. Some people made dramatic black and whites out of it. Uh, some people didn't use like, a, yeah, I use a blue gold, one of the blue gold filters uh, uh, that's in Nick. But anyway, um, it, it's, it's like pre-visualization. Again, we all envision the shot and there are many, uh, well, probably countless or endless uh, places we could have photographed this on Band and Beach. But because we only hired the rider for about an hour and a half. You know, our time was limited. So we picked a place that we thought, you know, I, I think I've talked to you uh, and I know the people listening who know me, I, I have what I call my one picture promise. And my okay. one picture pr promise is that if you're in a location like Bandon Beach and you could only take one picture of what would that one picture be? My promise is that if you think that way, you'll get a higher percentage of pictures that you like, fewer outtakes, and you'll, and you'll think more creatively about that. If I only had one shot, like Ansel Adams, if he were there. Now, of course, we have our cameras on rapid frame advance, right? High frame rate. But this still is the one basic shot that we envisioned. And I also talked about the importance of uh, gesture, right? The uh, gesture of the horse's legs. We wanted to... Uh, show the horse like if you again the people listening can't see this but the horses one of the horses uh, front legs is is uh, off bent, the ground right and none ground. of the none of the legs intersect with each other and, well sep well that's another thing about this picture <clears throat> none of the, that's uh yeah that's the separation that we were looking for but also there's face rock in the back and there's that other larger rock in the foreground and there's a little bit of water there's a little bit of water between the two rocks and you expertly pointed out that there's separation there. And if I had been a little lower, if I had been a little lower, that foreground rock would have intersected with the background rock, and it it wouldn't have looked like the same rock, but we wouldn't have that separation, right. which uh, adds, like you said, layers to the picture, and layers adds a sense of depth and dimension to the picture. So beaches, obviously, are so perfect for silhouette. Oh, and yeah, a horse at rider. sunset. Yeah, and sunset. How do you get a horse and a rider? Oh, uh, yeah, we hired them. Uh, we've been doing this for four or five years. My friend Alex Morley is my co-leader on this. Uh, he introduced me to, um, to the Oregon Coast. And actually, we dedicate the book to him. Um, <laughs> because actually, it's an it's a interesting story. I'm teaching a workshop in Bosque del Apache in New Mexico, right, yep. where all the birds are. And he's a workshop student, and I'm at one end of the table. He's at the other end of the table, and he has his iPhone, and he's showing someone pictures, and the colors were just amazing. I saw him from, like, you know, 12 people away. So I went down. I said, where were those pictures taken? He said, on the Oregon coast. And there's a picture of the sea and anemones and the starfish. So I said, we have to do a workshop. So uh, he's my co-leader out there. We did the workshop, and I think we've done four or five of these, and we dedicate the book to him because he's such a 
an amazing uh, photographer and such an amazing person. Too. So give me some insight into your head for a minute. You go out and you shoot, whether it's a workshop or you're just in India with your wife on a vacation, right? <laughs> you, you go out and you shoot 100 shots, let's say. When you bring those back to your computer, what's your workflow to get them in, culled? How do you cull? How do you, you know, then edited? What, what's, your, what's your thought process and workflow? Well, uh, I never go to sleep without picking my best pictures uh, from the day, no matter how tired I am. In? Now, Scott, Why? Kelby, Oh, because if you're in India and you're taking a lot of pictures, you know, if I, I don't want to have to come home and go through, you know, you know, hundreds of pictures. So I pick I pick the best pictures from each day and I put those in the, in a folder and it'd be like India day one, India day two. You know, if, if there's if I'm out, like if I have different memory cards, it's like India day one, a day, day one, B, day one, C and whatever. So I know which days I took the picture and, and I usually never go back. You know, you, you're a photographer when you, with your, with your, uh, with your greatest musician stage shots, you know what that one shot is, right? And it could be just a tiny difference in gesture or, yeah. uh, uh, or the, the, the way the guitarist might be holding down the notes or if he's sw he or she is swinging his arm, you know, you know what that, the best shot is. So I go through, I pick the best shots and because the light is different in the hotel room and the lodge and the tent on the train or whatever, I, I don't really do any editing except for picking the, uh, except for maybe cropping the picture. Okay. And then that I'll make sense. it and, and I yeah and then I keep the the uh, the TIFF file of that and I'll make a JPEG and on site because I want to put something on social media I'll make a JPEG and sometimes uh, you know <laughs> I'll put it up because I want to you know you know some people want to know hey what are you doing in India sometimes I say hey what was I thinking to myself <laughs> you know the next day because maybe it's too much color not enough color too much saturation or whatever but uh, you know then I go back and and well. One thing, one thing on that, by the way, on color. Um, so in the morning, I have coffee on a trip, right? No matter how early it is, you know, all the workshops, since we like to get coffee. Uh, at midday, I have like a Diet Coke. And then comes happy hour, right? <laughs> so coffee uh, and, uh, and Diet Coke and Coke, they have caffeine in them. And caffeine and alcohol actually affect how we see color. So Really? Yeah, coffee and ca and being tired and getting an age right. affects color. Your mood affects how we see color. Uh, so that, in addition to like if a fluorescent light is on in a in a room in a hotel room or a tungsten right. light, and this this could affect color how I walls, see color. All of it, right? So all this stuff exactly could change how we see the color. So this is why I don't do any uh, adjustments, you know, for the books or for the Kelby One classes until I get home and work on my calibrated uh, monitor. So I'm curious, somebody is looking at doing a road trip. Mm -hmm. They're either going to do a Route 66 thing or an Oregon road trip thing. What's the one reason you would say to somebody, oh my gosh, you know, you, you run into a friend you haven't seen in a year. Oh, Jimmy, you really need to go to the Oregon coast and do this because? Because of the the sense of wonder and sense of beauty 
it's it's stunning. It really is stunning. If you're walking along the beach and you see these starfish in the sea anemones, and you see the light, and you see the colors, and you see the sand and uh, and and the seals uh, and the seals and sea lions, it's amazing. It's definitely amazing to uh, explore the Oregon coast because, in addition to the, the in in addition to that, you know, there's probably got thousands of visitors, you know. Uh, a year there, you know, every it, place I, we go, every, every place we go, we feel like we're alone. As I was going through the book, there were a couple pictures. I'm, I'm not going to lie that I looked at them and they were starfish and, and, you know, sea creatures that you would have like in a tide pool area that I've never seen. I live, you know, not far from the Southern California beach, but these were colors and brightness that I, I don't normally see. It was fantastic. It's really, really pretty. The well, book, the, thank you. The pictures and, in the book. And those colors are real. Like the horse picture, right? I'm thinking like a painter. Right. But if I'm taking a shot of the starfish and the sea anemones, I want those colors to be accurate. They're, I mean, it's it's amazing. I, I, like I say, I grew up going to the beach. I'm an hour yeah. from the beach. But I've never seen just sea creatures like this. They're so pretty. A lot of the pictures in this book are not yours. Yes. So let's mention your your co-author of the book. Yes, Susan Salmon. Actually, thank you again for uh, picking that one picture of the horse and rider on the beach. And <clears throat> you, you <laughs> and I and all your uh, wonderful uh, uh, viewers would be hard-pressed, and I'm serious, would be hard-pressed to tell the difference between that picture and Susan Salmon's iPhone picture. She's your wife, and and I gotta I gotta throw Scott Kelby's wife in here too, Calibra also. They are two of the best iPhone f- photography people that I know. The stuff they do with an iPhone is scary. And correct me if I'm wrong, but not a hundred percent probably, but I think ninety percent of Susan's pictures are phone pictures, right? All her pictures are phone pictures. And they're good enough. I mean, they're published in this book. They're published in this book. And I think what's great about it, she's like the, uh, you called me the king of composition. Thanks again. She's the queen of apps. She oh, has like, an, no, she, it's amazing. People come and they see, and they see what she's doing, like with the enhancing the sky, putting in a new sky, uh, oh, brightening faces, adding textures and colors and making the pictures look like paintings instantly. And also, you, you know, in the, in, the, uh, in the book, we have a lot of people pictures. So we're, okay. we're in the restaurants on the Oregon coast, and we're, we're photographing one of the guys, like, uh, making crabs. You know, if I bring out my digital SLR, it could be intimidating. You have an iPhone, it's not intimidating. Yeah. So she uh, and she's uh, so she wrote a, half the book. I wrote half the book, and she has a lot of pictures in there. And uh, yeah, it's amazing. And actually, her section I have a section on how to get great pictures with a, a digital SLR and a mirrorless camera. She has a section on how to get great pictures with the iPhone, but all those pictures are enhanced. So she really focused, unlike the Route 66 book, where she her section on her photography section that talks about, uh, you know, composition and stuff like that with the iPhone. This is exclusively in the new book as she talks about all these different apps she uses that that are ju- it's just amazing to me. It's ama- it's honestly amazing to me what, well, what 
Tell she her Calibra can do. and to you, congratulations on the new book. It's the Oregon Coast Photo Road Trip, How to Eat, Stay, Play, and Shoot Like a Pro. And what is the actual release date? Uh, I think it's May 21st. Okay, so May 21st, 2019. I think this episode is going to publish two days after that. So when you hear oh, this, the book should be available. It's on Amazon, and I will have a link in the show notes. You can, uh, As always, you can go to BehindTheShot.tv. You can get all the information about Rick. There's a small gallery of his work there. And all the links that you need for Rick Salmon are going to be in the blog post as well. And by the way, I want to mention this too. You are also a podcaster. You do a, a, a great podcast. Tell me about the podcast. Yeah, I do it with a Larry Becker. It's called The Picturing Success. I had this unbelievable, this guy is so good. I mean, as, as you know, as a podcast, it's great to have guests. This guy is like a, a rock concert photographer. And he, he gets these pictures, like he shoots at high ISOs, and he's more concerned about the mood than the technique. And he's a, and he's a great guy, and he brings out the best in the musicians. And, uh, and, and it's you. <laughs> you. Thank you. You're too kind, sir. No, um, your your work is amazing. I mean, I, we're going to get you back on the show. Uh, I'll come uh, on anytime. I love you guys, man. And it's yeah. if. And by the way, I should say, purely as you know, not not hosting and asking questions of you now, or the fact that I've been on the show, the Picturing Success podcast with Rick and Larry, and and it's done interesting. Sometimes Larry does the interview. Sometimes Rick does the interview. But they always start with the two of them or end as well with the two of them kind of having both listened to the interview, talking about the interview, regardless of who did it. And they get people on from all different walks of life, but many of them are photographers. Most of them are photographers talking about their road to success, the keys to success. It's really, if, if you're into improving your success, uh, yeah, you got to check it out. It's picturing success.com. Um, Right? PicturingSuccess.com. Is that the one? Yep. Yep. Yeah, that's okay. It. So PicturingSuccess.com. His books are all available, almost 40 of them on uh, Amazon. Uh, you can find the links for all of those at his website, which is RickSalmon.com. You can find everything at RickSalmon.com. Follow him on Facebook, follow him on Instagram, follow him on Twitter. And if you're a Kelby One member, you just had a new class hit yes, on Kelby One. Yes. Yeah, uh, basically on how to get the best in camera exposure. Uh <laughs> It's two and a half hours long. Most of the classes there are an hour long. Right. But I put I put everything I had into this because I really want people. It's just not about exposure and the exposure triangle. It talks about focus. Talks about I talk about a uh, you know, flash, natural light, constant lights. So, uh, I think they were a little surprised it was two and a half hours long. <laughs> yeah, but I mean it's good content, and that's kind of the thing. That's the reason I like having you on all the time. Is it's just now and then, I don't think you even know you do it, but now and then, it's not even a salmonism. Now and then <laughs> you'll just say something that makes me go, wait a minute, say that again? Because, and and part of it's probably experience, but part of it also, I, I just think is the way your mind works. You see, you see granular detail that I think other people don't in the, from the, from the learning experience point of view. Well, thank you. I've been, I, you know, I've been doing this a long time. And I was a year watching or two. You Santana. watched a video on YouTube and learned it last week. <laughs> no, uh, you know I was watching. The, have you seen the Santana Masterclass? Uh, I have not. I need to sign up for Masterclass. Actually, oh, you know what? Santana's not only an unbelievable guitar player, musician, you know, uh, producer, all this other stuff, arranger. 
He's an amazing instructor. I felt like he was talking to Rick Salmon. I thought that class was made for Rick Salmon. He's and see, and you're good. already an accomplished guitarist. Well, thank you. But he's a, I would recommend to all your listeners, the master classes are, you know, Annie Leibovitz uh, has a right. class up there, Ron Howard, a bunch of uh, Martin Scorsese. Uh, but Santana was amazing. Well, I got I got to definitely try it. Rick, thank you so much for being on the show again. Well, thank you, my friend. And I hope to see you soon. Yeah, and best of luck with the book. Please tell your wife thank you for letting me have you for another <laughs> for another 45 minutes. I really appreciate it. Everybody, make sure that you go to the website, behindtheshot.tv. Find the blog post associated with this episode. It'll have a bunch of information on Rick. I read a little paragraph about him. Uh, it's a small gallery of his work. All the links we talk about, links to the book, links to his Kelby One classes, links to his workshops, all of that type stuff you can find there. Also, I do want to remind you, if you are an iTunes user, please, if you would run to iTunes, we have two feeds. We have an audio feed and we have a video feed. They actually say audio and video in the titles and they say my name. The old feed from the old network is still in there. And recently we've had a couple people drop reviews for the new show, but that feed hasn't been updated since April of 2018. So make sure if you drop a review and a rating that you leave it on the right feed. I appreciate it very much for any reviews and ratings that you do leave. As always, you can reach out to me all over the place. Throughout the show, I'm putting up lower thirds that show websites and Facebook pages and, and Instagram pages. But let me just tell you really quick, if you want to hit me up, uh, you can find me at stevebrazel.com. It's like the country of Brazil, but two L's or the website for the podcast is behindtheshot.tv. Instagram and Twitter are where I spend most of my time and it's at Steve Brazel or at behindtheshot.tv. To everybody, thanks as always for watching. This is the Behind the Shot podcast where we try and get inside the mind of great photographers by taking a closer look behind one of their shots. We'll see you on the next show. 